All right, guys. Hi there. Uh, my name is Juan Villa. I'm a solutions architect here at, a at AWS. Uh, in today's talk, we're going to talk about real-time data processing with AWS Lambda. We're going to kind of do it with a focus on security. We're going to look at a real-world security application where we take real-time security audit events and we do some kind of compute, some kind of logic monitoring around it and some alerting, right? So we're going to look at something very, very, very practical. Um, so I'm part of the team uh, in AWS called the partner team. I'm a partner solutions architect, more specifically than that. Um, I focus on IoT, serverless, and machine learning mostly. I also do some SaaS um, here at AWS. Uh, I mostly like to just build cool software products. I used to be a software developer um, about two years ago. I still technically am, just not by title. Um, so I just build a lot of cool tools, and I build stuff for customers and partners every day. Um, so yeah, so before we jump into looking at this pra practical real-time data pipeline, let's just talk real quick about what a real-time or batch processing data pipeline looks like, right? So those are the two options that we've got. You can process events in real-time or near real-time, which we're going to talk about timing a little bit, or you can do what's called batch processing, where you collect events and you process them in some kind of schedule, right? So let's look at batch processing first, right? So in a batch processing scenario, you have some kind of data source. In any data processing pipeline, you have a data source, which is the data that you're going to be processing. Um, in this case, this data could come from, it could come from sensors. It could come from, from customer data from your website. It could be like uh, a clickstream feed from your e-commerce app, like application, for example. So you can see what your customers click and where they go where they're looking at a product, for example. Right? And typically what we see customers and partners doing with this immense amount of data, because it truly really is immense. When you think of an e-commerce application like, you know, let's, let's go for the big one like Amazon.com, but even if you go for a smaller e-commerce application, when you have thousands of customers and you're collecting clickstream data, for example, that's a lot of data. When you're looking at security audit events in an actual production AWS account, there's going to be a lot of events, right? So what we typically see customers do is store this data in S3. They'll store it in some kind of S3 bucket. It's a very low cost. Uh, you pay for the storage per gig per month. And you leave it sitting there, but then you need to do something with that data, right? You've got to turn it into something actionable. You have to derive some kind of insight from it, right? So this is where the compute layer comes in, right? So we've talked about the data source and where you put your data, and now you're going to pull that data and do something with it. Now, in this example, I'm using AWS Lambda as my little icon there for compute, but it could really be any compute solution here, right? This could be EC2, this could be Kinesis Analytics, this could be a partner solution. But for this presentation, we're going to focus on Lambda and talk about some of the benefits of why use Lambda for real-time processing of information. And once you do some kind of computation, generally you don't just compute and, and, and send results into the ether. You do something with it. You store that data. You do some kind of action on it, like trigger a pager duty message, you trigger a text message to go out to someone, or you trigger some kind of like recovery action. You know, it could really be truly anything, and it could be one or more actions as well. Right? So when we look at a batch processing workload, though, we're looking at a workload where data is stored, and then on some kind of periodic schedule, you pull the data, you process it, and you do something with it. Right? So you're not doing this in real time. You're doing this maybe like every night, or maybe you know, on Friday nights, um, and you're not triggering actions immediately, right? And in some, in some cases, that's more than enough. You know, that's really good enough. But when you're talking about security 
and security audit events, you don't want to wait till like the next day to process those to find out that you've had some anomalous access patterns in your web application. You want to pick those up immediately so you can do something about it immediately. So when we talk about batch processing, we're talking typically 15 or more minute response times. That's generally what we're talking about. Usually for our customers, that's about a day is generally what their, what, their, what, what their interval is for batch processing. When we look at real-time or event-driven data pipelines, um, it looks very similar to the previous one, except instead of storing in S3 the events that are coming in, we're gonna actually process those as they come in as quickly as we can before putting it in some kind of durable storage. Right? So S3 was the durable storage that we were using previously, and we can keep its stuff in there forever. In this model, we are gonna process the message immediately, as quickly as we can, before putting it in durable storage. It doesn't mean we can't put it in durable storage. In fact, most of the times you wanna do both. You wanna put it in some kind of durable storage as it comes in, but you also wanna process the message in real time, right? So we're gonna use Lambda here as well, we're gonna do some kind of logic, and then we're gonna trigger an action. And generally, when we're talking real-time data pipelines, we are talking in the order of zero seconds, so basically near instant, all the way through to 15 minutes. Um, depending on your background, you know, real-time has a different definition for everyone. Um, for some folks, real-time like real is microseconds. For other folks, it means a few minutes. Um, so I like to use the term near real-time uh, for when I talk about like, real-time data processing. Because you know, it takes a little while for events to trickle down. It might take about you know, 30 seconds for you to react to some event. That's still considered real-time, or near real-time, as I, as I like to call it. So at the center of all of this compute that we were just talking about is AWS Lambda. And most of you are probably very familiar with AWS Lambda already. But I want to call out some of the very important things about AWS Lambda that makes it so suitable for real-time data processing. Right? So the biggest of which, in my opinion, really is its ability to scale. That's the most important thing to me, because that means you don't have to manage infrastructure as your data streams change in the frequency at which you receive the data, right? If you have a Cyber Monday sale, like today, for example, and you're recording click streams, you're going to get a lot more customers on Cyber Monday than any other day. You don't want to have to predict what that load's going to be, and you don't want to fall behind in your real-time data processing especially if that real-time data processing has something to do with security, because then you're falling behind on detecting anomalous patterns on a very busy day like Cyber Monday, right? So that, that's a very good reason to use Lambda. Um, and the other one really is simplicity. You know, like with AWS Lambda, you are not managing hardware, you're not managing like an operating system, you're not patching it. You're simply writing your business logic in whatever language that we currently support, like Node, Java, Python, and C Sharp. Um, and you're just defining this little bit of business logic. You have any number of Lambda functions, and you start connecting them and intertwining them into a real-time data processing pipeline. Right? And we're going to talk about events here very, very shortly, which is another one of its big benefits, is the fact that you can tie it to very many AWS events and build this like, serverless, real-time processing pipeline with very little middleware. You don't have to write it. It's kind of there already uh, in AWS. And it's also very cost-effective. You're not paying per hour. You're paying for how many times you execute it. You know, if, it's, if you guys are not really busy that day, e-commerce application, then you don't pay much for it because you only invoke it a few times. Um, on Cyber Monday, you pay a little bit more because, you know, it's running a little bit more. Um, so the kinds of data sources, right, that, that you can process with Lambda, I'm going to go through a few examples of these data sources so you guys can get sort of an idea of what you can 
uses your data source in, in AWS to build a real-time data processing pipeline, right? So with a focus on security, it could be things like, for example, parsing your access logs on your load balancers, right? You could parse those as they get populated, looking for some kind of anomalous pattern, right? You could try to figure out if all of a sudden, you know, you mostly have customers in the U.S., then all of a sudden you have a lot of customers in China, you know, for a store that doesn't ship to China. You know, like, what's going on there? You, you might want to investigate that. Um, you might want to parse your VPC flow logs, for example, and apply some machine learning application to it. You know, train some kind of machine learning algorithm to figure out what's normal in terms of flow within your network, and then figure out when something not normal is happening in your actual VPC. When two instances that shouldn't be communicating are all of a sudden communicating, that could be symptomatic. It could be a, basically an indicator letting you know that a machine has been compromised and somebody's using it to discover resources within your VPC, right? So this is the importance of early detection and real-time processing. You could use it to parse the CloudTrail logs, right? So this is the big one. This is the one that we're gonna focus on, on the next few slides, is using CloudTrail events, processing them in real time, and doing something actionable with it, something significant, right? Um, you could also use, within the CloudWatch family, there's something called CloudWatch logs, which you guys are probably familiar with, but also CloudWatch events, which a lot of people are not very familiar with, actually. Um, and with CloudWatch events, you can set up rules that basically say, hey, you know, when there's a CloudWatch event of, a CloudTrail event of this kind, it matches this filter, I want you to take that and throw it into a Kinesis stream. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, is how you can use that as an event source to pull CloudTrail data, which is gonna be our actual event source, and CloudWatch events is gonna be what takes the event source and triggers, uh, and actually inserts it into Kinesis, and then we build a real-time pipeline from there. But additional to security applications, you can also use it to process DynamoDB changes to tables, like items get created, items get deleted, S3 events, objects get you know, inserted into a bucket, they get a put in the bucket, or they get deleted, or things like that, you can trigger on that, SNS messages, IoT, and then finally, Kinesis, like processing messages out of a Kinesis stream, right? So I could go on and on and on. The reality is there's a lot, a lot of possible data sources in AWS that you can use with very little effort, right? You don't have to write code to make any of the stuff that I mentioned happen. You go to the respective services and you simply connect them. You say, oh, when an object arrives at S3, I want you to trigger this Lambda function. And then you write your code that does something with that event to do whatever you want with it, like send an email, send, send a text message. Um, or you could use your own application as a source to a real-time data processing pipeline. You can invoke the Lambda function yourself from your application, right? So as we talk about these event sources and Lambda functions, I need to dive a little bit deeper into how this invocation happens. How does Amazon S3 connect to Lambda so you can do something relevant, right? Um, so there are two kinds um, of what we call models or triggering models for a Lambda. There's a push model and there's a pull model. A push model is basically saying that um, a service is going to actually invoke Lambda. So SNS is gonna call your Lambda function. Um, in the pull model scenario, you actually have a Lambda pull the data from your event source and then trigger a Lambda function, right? So that's the difference between push and pull. Within your push models, you have synchronous pushes and asynchronous pushes. Asynchronous pushes are the most common. Those are the fire and forget ones. Those are, hey, here's a payload. 
lambda, trigger this function with this payload and just do it, I don't care, I'm gonna keep on like doing my own thing over here. Right, so it's not gonna keep track of that execution arn, it's not gonna wait for a result, if it fails, it fails, right, hence fire and forget. Um, a synchronous invocation, on the other hand, is the opposite of that. You're gonna invoke it and you're gonna wait for a result. Right, so for example, Alexa, right? So Alexa uses uh, Lambda. It's, it's very common to see Alexa and Lambda together. You don't have to use Lambda to write Alexa skills, but if you write one, then your, what your Lambda function is doing, it's just getting that input from the user, and then it's gonna do some logic and figure out what the next question to ask is, or what to respond with, right? So the Alexa service has to wait for that Lambda function to finish invoking to get that result back. It can't just fire and forget, because it's waiting on it to give it something back, right? So that's what that synchronous invocation is. Um, and in the pool model, where the Lambda service itself is the one pulling data, um, you tend to see there the synchronous invocation model. And that's what we're gonna talk about today is actually the pool model with synchronous invocation using Amazon Kinesis. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more in detail about, about Kinesis after we talk through the pipeline that we're gonna essentially demo throughout, throughout, throughout this presentation, right? So for this example, for this security pipeline that we're gonna sort of build here as a demo, we're, we're gonna use CloudTrail, like I mentioned, as our data source, right? So this is, this service contains an audit trail of all the AWS API calls that have been made on your AWS account, right? If, you, if, if you're not familiar with CloudTrail, it's, it's, it's one of those things that the first time you boot up an, an AWS account is the first thing that you should enable, is CloudTrail and tell it to start dumping stuff in S3. It's always good to have that audit trail because if anything happens, look there, right, and see what happens. So we're gonna take CloudTrail and we're gonna have it monitor all of our API calls. Specifically, what we're looking for is to see who terminated a production EC2 instance, right? So we're gonna have these EC2 instances that are gonna be tagged. And they're gonna be tagged whether they're dev, QA, or production instances. Really best practice, AWS accounts should be dev, prod, QA, so everything in a prod AWS account should be prod. But in this example, we're gonna assume we have a mixture of, AW, of like EC2 instance in different environments within the same account. So if we have a prod account and it gets terminated, I want to know the moment that that happens as quickly as possible. I wanna know who terminated, and I wanna know the when, and I, know, and I wanna know what instance was terminated, right? So that's what this pipeline is, is going to accomplish. So in the event source in the left, we have CloudTrail, and then we're gonna use Cloud Events with the rule that I mentioned, where you can set up a rule and basically say, hey, I want you to use CloudTrail as a source. When there's an instance terminate event, I want you to take that message and put it inside an Amazon Kinesis stream. That's what I want you to do with it, right? So that's what CloudWatch Events does. So CloudWatch Events is sort of like the glue right there between the data source and where it's gonna go to next, right? And so it's essentially like the, like the orchestrator of the message. Um, and the event target here is gonna be the Kinesis stream. And we're gonna talk about Kinesis in detail in the next slide. Um, so, and then, and then from the Kinesis stream, I'm gonna have two separate consumers, right? We're gonna have a consumer that's a Lambda function that's just gonna be consuming data from the Kinesis stream. It's gonna be doing that checking of the, of the instance and it's gonna say, hey, an instance was terminated. Let me check if it was prod. Yes, it was prod. Let me send a text message to someone that should probably know about this. And then we have another path, another consumer of the stream that's gonna be getting the exact same messages, but all this consumer is gonna do is it's gonna take those messages and it's gonna dump them into Elasticsearch. Right, and with Elasticsearch, you can run Kibana on top of it, 
You can not, well, store, Elasticsearch is not a database, it's really a search index, but it's really good at that, right? It's really good at, at combing through millions and millions of messages looking for some particular event. So you can correlate it in the event of some kind of security incident, right? So these are the two things we're gonna do with the data that's, that's gonna actually come in, right? So the first thing we need to do is set up that security, that, that, that actual event in CloudWatch events, right? So I mentioned this thing called terminate instances event. Uh, with CloudWatch events, you can set up CloudTrail as your event source, and then you can set up terminate instances as your event to filter on, right? Because CloudTrail monitors all API actions, not just terminate instances. It, 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 it monitors creations. It monitors when KMS keys are created. It monitors when KMS keys are used to decrypt messages, right? So you could monitor everything about it. Um, but in this case, we're focused on terminate instance event. Um, and once you filter on it, you can just have it trigger anything that you want to as, a, as an actual target. It could be one or more targets, right? So in this case, for in, in this screenshot, just as a demonstration, I'm showing how you can configure two targets. One, Kinesis, so take the message from CloudTrail, put it in Kinesis, and the other one is take the message from CloudTrail and put it in SNS, right? So SNS just as your like, messaging broker, in case you don't want to use Kinesis or for some other application, just to demonstrate that you can have more than one target, right? And then once you've done those two things, what, what you essentially end up with is with, that, is with the glue that takes the event source and gives it to Kinesis and gives it to SNS, right? So you've now have that middleware implemented by AWS, all serverless, you're not running instances to do this, um, and all at scale. You don't have to worry about how many messages come in, it's all taken care of by AWS. So when you look at this conditional uh, expression that basically says, hey, only messages from EC2 that are terminate instance, those are the ones I want you to give to Kinesis. That's actually expressed in JSON. The GUI doesn't make it super clear that it's actually all JSON, but all of our services are consumable via, via an API, so you can automate this via an API. And this is what the event source pattern looks like, right, when you've expressed it in JSON. So it's a very simple event source, and you can filter by anything, including a wildcard. So you can just get every single CloudTrail message as it's generated immediately sent to something like Kinesis, right? Um, it generally takes about one to two minutes from the moment a termination happens to the moment that, that, uh, that uh, audit trail event triggers. Um, and this is what that message looks like, right? Before we can do anything with this message, we gotta know what it looks like. You know, what's in it? Do we have all the information we need inside that message, right? There's a lot of information in there. Um, specifically, we have the most important things in there. We have the IAM user that terminated the instance inside there. We have which instance was terminated. We have the IP address of the user at the time that the instance was terminated. And we have the ID of the instance that was terminated, right? So we have all the information that we originally wanted is contained inside this message, except for one thing. We don't know if it's a prod instance, a QA instance, a dev instance, because it doesn't have the tags for the instance in here. So we're gonna have to query that separately inside our Lambda function, right? This is what the Lambda function looks like. This is what we're invoking, right? So once we send a message into Kinesis and Lambda consumes messages from Kinesis, this is what it's gonna do. It's gonna go through all the messages that come in and it's going to parse the Kinesis record it's gonna then extract the actual like, username that invoked the termination, and it's gonna extract the instance ID, and then we're gonna make a call with Bodo that we import above 
um, to the EC2 service to query the, the actual like metadata tags that are associated to the instance, and we're gonna check to see if it has a production flag. That's what tells us this instance is production. And if that is true, if it is a production instance, then we wanna send an SMS. And we wanna notify an administrator, for example, that the instance has been terminated. Um, you don't have to use SMS, I'm just using SMS because it was the simplest thing to do with SNS here, but you could you know, like integrate with PageDuty, you could integrate with Pusher, with any other kind of monitoring service that you have. Um, you could do more than one action as well, right? Um, so there's definitely quite a few things that you can do there. So once you've parsed the message and done your triggering, then you finally will get your text message, right? So if we were to terminate an EC2 instance, you know, which for this example I did, as my username in my account, um, I will get a text message that looks like that, right? The Lambda code that I showed you, the little bit of snippet of code I showed you, will do that. We'll parse that message, trigger on that message, and send you that message, letting you know that that instance has been terminated, right? So this is a very simplistic look um, at what you could do with security. The reality is you're gonna probably do something a little bit more complex than this. Sometimes something this simple is very useful to get started with, but you probably are gonna do something a little bit more complicated with it. You know, you might even look into some machine learning applications that some of our partners have available. You might wanna to try to roll something yourself, you know, to try to figure out, you know, what an anomalous pattern looks like. Um, for example, if you have, you know, someone that successfully logged into your AWS account from a country that you have no employees in, like, that should probably raise a red flag, right? And you can detect that with, CloudTrail and this pipeline that I mentioned, because you have the IP address of the user, and you know when they logged in, right? So you can figure all that stuff out. So there's a lot of things that you can do there. So at the center of all this, something I have not talked about very much is Kinesis. Like, why did I choose Kinesis? Why do I not just invoke Lambda directly from, from uh, the CloudWatch event, which you can, by the way, and completely skip Kinesis. The reason I put Kinesis in there is because Kinesis is pretty much at the heart of every real-time data processing solution that I've seen out there from all of our customers, from all of our partners. And the reason for it is because of its versatility at managing and distributing messages intended for real-time consumption. So it does some things that are very, very useful, right? So to explain Kinesis, I like to tell people that it's like a timeline, right? You have, you have this timeline that by default is gonna be a period of 24 hours. And, but this timeline could be as long as seven days. And when a record is inserted into a Kinesis stream, you're essentially inserting it in one end of the timeline. And the moment it gets inserted, it gets timestamped. So it gets a time on it, right? It was inserted today at 10 in the morning. And then as time passes, that actual record is gonna age. It's gonna get older and older and older, right? Two hours later, it's gonna be two hours old. Um, so the moment that it ages all the way to the other end of this timeline, if the timeline is 24 hours, the moment it ages all the way to the other end of the timeline, it essentially reaches what's called the trim horizon. That's a very fancy term for a cliff where the message falls off and dies. Like, that's where it's too old, it expires, essentially. Um, and that's called the trim horizon. That is, that, that represents your oldest, oldest, oldest message. Um, and as you insert more messages, they all age together, all the way through to the trim horizon. Right, so some benefits of that is if you have a lot of messages coming in and you're doing some kind of real-time processing of messages, but you find out that there's a bug in your code after two hours of deploying this change to production. So you've had two hours worth of events that you've already processed. 
if you had not used Kinesis, if you had directly invoked your Lambda function in a fire and forget fashion, then you would have lost those messages. Like, how do you reprocess those two hours of messages that you lost because, or you didn't process correctly because of a bug in the code, right? With Kinesis, you have the ability to set your cursor, um, your, your, your actual like, position within the Kinesis stream anywhere you want to. You can put it all the way at the end of the trim horizon and reprocess every message. If the duration of your Kinesis stream is seven days, you got seven days worth of messages just sitting in there. You know, as new ones come in and old ones come out, you have a seven day window essentially, always of all your messages that are coming in. So that makes it very, very, very versatile for that kind of processing. Um, and you also have the ability to scale this. You can take this Kinesis stream and add what are called shards to it. Um, and it's very easy, you just duplicate the number of shards, you go from one to two to four, um, and the more shards you put on it, the more capacity it has to insert messages and to read messages from it, right? And it's very easy to use, it's serverless, you don't have to spin up a compute instance, you don't have to manage patches or anything like that. So it's a very popular choice for real-time data processing, for processing real-time messages of any kind. So what I talked about specifically is called the Kinesis stream. It's part of the Kinesis family. And within the Kinesis family, there are two other services. There's Firehost and Kinesis Analytics as well. We're not gonna really dive too deep into those two services, um, but I just wanna talk about them really quickly. Um, so Kinesis Firehost is a way of just loading a whole bunch of data very, 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 very quickly into some kind of data source, like for example, into S3. You can do a whole bunch of data through Kinesis Firehost into S3 or into Elasticsearch, um, which has direct integration with Elasticsearch. Um, and Kinesis an Analytics um, allows you to write like SQL queries that get evaluated in real time against data coming into the pipeline. And you can do some really cool stuff with that actually. You can do like sliding windows of time and do like sliding averages of data that comes in. Like you can do some really fancy stuff with Kinesis Analytics. Um, but for this talk, focus on Lambda as our, as our actual compute layer, but I totally encourage you guys to look into those two, especially if the analytic component really, really uh, interests you guys. Um, and ultimately, very important, this is real time, right? So you have, um, in this case, for our demo, we have a Lambda consumer, a Lambda function, where the Lambda service is actually the thing consuming from Kinesis. Uh, the Lambda function is gonna have an iterator either set to latest or to trim horizon. If it's set to latest, then it's just gonna get any message that was received after it was configured. If it's set to trim horizon, it's gonna process everything from the beginning of time um, for the duration of, you know, if, it's, if it was 24 hours, then as, back as, as, as far back as 24 hours, and process all that data. Um, so you can choose between those, you know, two different locations. If you're writing your own consumer in EC2 or you're writing it to run locally on your machine in Python, you use what's called the Kinesis client library and you can set your iterator wherever you want to. It doesn't have to be at the end, it doesn't have to be the beginning, it could be in the middle. You could process an hour's worth of data, pause, record where you left off, continue later. Um, and, and more importantly, you can have multiple consumers. So you can have one producer inserting a lot of messages into the stream and multiple consumers consuming messages from the stream. But there are limits, obviously, right? Like, you scale this with shards. So when you look at how many shards you need, you have to think about the fact that each shard will give you the ability to, 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 to actually, like, ingest at a rate of one megabyte per second or write at a, mega, uh, at a rate of two megabytes per second. And this actually from the other perspective. So what really happens is you can write into the Kinesis stream at one megabyte per second. So the CloudWatch events could write that fast into a single shard. 
and you can have consumers read at two megabytes per second. So what that means is if you're writing at one megabyte per second, you probably want to read at one megabyte per second. Otherwise, you fall behind, right? If it's real time, you got to read as fast as you write, which means you can have up to two consumers reading in real time from this, from this one shard. But if you need more capacity, you increase the number of shards. That's the beauty of Kinesis Stream for scaling. You can just set it to 10. Um, and then you can do 10 and 20 megabytes per second, respectively. Um, each shard is going to support five retransactions per second. That's not five messages read, it's five retransactions. And one retransaction can read a whole bunch of messages in bulk. It's limited by, by actually size in megabytes. Um, and you can configure, like I said, the duration could be 24 hours, could be seven days for the duration of the entire like, stream itself. Um, and in best practice, when you're deciding like, how much you need to scale it, start, start with one shard and monitor to see how it really works. You can use, there's a little link in the console that lets you figure out how many shards you need. It'll, it'll ask you questions about the kind of data you're getting and how fast the data comes in and how fast you need to read it. And it's gonna compute how many shards you need. The formula it's gonna use is this one that I have listed down there. It, 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 it looks really complicated, but really, you just need to think about how quick the, the, the messages are coming in. If messages are coming in at 10 megabytes per second, you need 10 shards. If they're coming in at five megabytes per second, you need five shards, right? That's really what it boils down to. And if you have a lot of consumers, more than you have producers, then you might have to increase the number of shards to, to keep up with the consumers as opposed to the producers. Um, so you have to balance those two things out. But it's fairly simple because those are the only two things you have to think about, right? And when you create the Lambda function, which is this next part, right? We had the Kinesis stream that was getting the messages, and then we have the Lambda function that is invoking based on messages coming into the Kinesis stream. When you think of the Lambda function, there are some tuning parameters there as well. You tune memory, and by tuning the memory you give a Lambda function, you actually also tune its CPU compute capability, right? So those two things are actually tied together. The more memory you give a Lambda function, the more compute capacity it also has. Um, and the best way to figure out what you need is by testing and benchmarking. For pretty much 99.99% of applications, that's the way you do it. For other applications, you do it because you know how much RAM you really need, because you might be doing something in memory. But for most applications, you pick something that is cost-effective for you, so start with the lowest possible amount of memory, see if it works for your application, and if it does, keep it. If it, if, if it doesn't scale up, benchmark, try again, right? That's the way that you figure this out. That's the way that you really get something that's truly suited to your workload. And the other thing to think about, aside from memory for a Lambda function, is the timeout for a Lambda function. Lambda functions, by default, you have to specify a timeout. They can't run forever, right? So you can set a timeout of 30 seconds, you can set a timeout of a minute, you can set a timeout of two minutes. When you're dealing with real-time data processing applications, try to aim for a low timeout. Whatever you do inside that Lambda function, think about the fact that you do not want to be doing it for a long period of time. You know, don't try to make like, you know, 40 relational like database calls to three databases, one of which is on-prem over VPN. Like, you can do that, but that's going to result in your Lambda function running for a very long period of time, and it's not going to scale very well. And if you think about it, your compute layer is in the middle of your of your real-time data processing pipeline, so what happens when your compute layer is slow? It can't keep up with the data. And if it can't keep up with the data, you're gonna fall behind. And if you fall behind continuously, 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 once messages start reaching that, that trim horizon, there's nothing you can do about it like, anymore. 
At that point, you are losing messages that you can't get back, right? So you want to make sure that you can process messages fast enough. And we're going to look into what happens when you can't process fast enough. And, and, and I'm going to show you some charts of what it looks like and what you do to remedy that, right? Because there are things you can do to scale. Um, and shard, the key of all of it, is those kinesis shards is what's going to be the, the thing we're going to use to solve all these problems. Um, also, Lambda functions um, have a built-in retry mechanism for some data sources, um, specifically for Kinesis. When Lambda functions, when the Lambda service is the one that subscribes to the Kinesis stream as the consumer to, to actually consume messages and then invoke a Lambda function, it will retry in the event the Lambda function fails, right? Because the guarantee that Lambda makes to you when it uses Kinesis as an event source is that it's gonna process messages in order within that shard. It's not gonna process a message that's 10 minutes older, or rather 10 minutes newer before it processes like a message that's 10 minutes older. It's not gonna do that. If for some reason it gets to a message it can't process because there's a bug in the code processing that particular payload, or because of something that's more ephemeral, like you know a timeout reaching a database because of some network blip of some kind, then the Lambda function is going to retry the execution. The Lambda service is going to retry the execution of the Lambda function. And it's going to do so with exponential backoff, just like the AWS SDK does by convention, if you guys are familiar with it and have used it. Um, so the first time it retries, the second time is going to be like double that, the third time is going to be double that, all the way to 60 seconds um, is actually how long it's going, to, it's, it's going to retry. And then it's going to retry every 60 seconds forever until that message no longer exists. Right? So you want to monitor your pipeline to figure out whether it's a code bug that's going to continuously fail, or it was a network blip that it's going to just recover from automatically and you don't have to do anything. Right? So when you have your Kinesis stream and you have your Lambda function, the thing that makes a Lambda function consume the Kinesis stream is this thing called the event source or the event trigger. And you actually do this within the Lambda service, because like I said, in the case of Kinesis, Lambda is actually doing a pull model where it is the consumer, and it is subscribing to this Kinesis stream to get messages from the Kinesis stream. And when you do so, you can specify what's called the batch size. So you can basically say, look, I don't want my Lambda function to process more than 128 messages at a time. So you set a batch size of 128. Now, there's no guarantee you're going to get 128. You might get two messages. You might get one message. But you're going to always get somewhere between 1 and 128, but no more than 128. And that's important, because if you benchmark your application and you know exactly how long it takes to run, then you can set your timeout appropriately, right? You know what the latencies are everywhere, so you can set the timeout to something reasonable. And you can rely on that consistent performance. Um, now, behind the scenes, though, the Lambda service is actually a little bit smarter and will consume messages from your Kinesis stream in batches larger than the batch that you selected. But it's going to keep it in memory before serving it to your, to your next Lambda function. This is all behind the scenes implementations of how Lambda functions work. But it does so for performance. So try to get that message to you as quickly as possible. And ultimately, what decides what the batch size is going to be, right? If you set it to 150, you could get 100 messages. And what decides how many messages you get is how many messages it could pull from the stream in 250 milliseconds. That's actually the condition it uses. If it got 10 messages at time zero, and then in 100 milliseconds it got 10 more messages, and then at 250 it got 10 more messages, then you're going to get 30 messages instead of 125 or 150 or however many you configured for your actual batch size. And that's just the way that the consumer works. That's how the Lambda function works, right? So, 
And then, like I mentioned, you can choose to start at the trim horizon, which is your oldest, oldest, oldest message, which is then going to process the entire stream all over, all the way to the end, or to the front, sorry, in this case. Or you can make it start at the latest mark, which is the very latest message, which basically means the moment you configure the event, at that point you start processing messages that arrive, right? So when you put it all together, this is what you really end up with. You end up with, can you stream on the left, Lambda function all the way on the right, you end up with the Lambda service in the middle that's doing the consumption of the messages from the Kinesis stream and creating a batch of those messages no larger than the one that you decided that, that you wanted, and then it's synchronously invoking this Lambda function. And it's synchronous because it wants to make sure it finishes before it gives it the next batch, right? This is the whole guaranteeing order thing. It cannot fire and forget because how does it know the last batch was processed? It doesn't. It has to wait so that you get all the messages in order to process them in order. Right? And, there, and there's that little pulling loop there that's 250 milliseconds max. That's just under the covers implementation details of how the Lambda service works when consuming from the, from the Kinesis stream. So, so how do you tune this? Why are shards so relevant to this? Like what happens when you have one shard versus four versus eight? Like how does Lambda handle it? How do you scale your compute? Like if whatever you're doing is very CPU intensive, how do you increase the amount of Lambda functions that you invoke in parallel to process, to be able to process more messages? The secret to this, and it's not really a secret, but it's a strategy, let's call it, is the shards, right? Every shard that you have maps to one concurrent invocation of a Lambda function. So if you have four shards in your Kinesis stream, when Lambda, when, when Lambda subscribes to the Kinesis stream to process the messages that are coming in, it's gonna have four Lambda functions concurrently, in other words, at the same time, invoking and processing each one of those shards. So each one of those Lambda functions is gonna be in charge of one shard. And in Kinesis world, what, this, what determines what shard a message goes into is some kind of key, and it's just gonna hash it. It's basically using a partition scheme very, very similar to what you find in databases and like relational databases when you partition on a key so you can distribute horizontally, right? It's gonna look at something like an ID, something that, is, that has a lot of entropy to it, that changes often, like some kind of unique identifier, like a UUID, for example, right? So it's using that, hashing it, and coming up with a number between one and however many shards you have, and it's putting it in that respective shard. So if you have something that has a lot of entropy in your messages, like a key, like a UUID, for example, like some kind of unique ID that, that you generated, then it's gonna spread all those messages evenly over all your shards, right? So if you have eight shards, 16 shards, 32 shards, it's gonna spread them evenly over all the shards. So you might not have a lot of messages coming in, but if your compute is very intense and you wanna keep up, you increase the number of shards because that means the number of Lambda functions that you have running concurrently goes up with the number of shards. So you can lower your batch size from let's say 150 to 75 and double the amount of shards. And that means you have more compute capacity because you're computing in parallel now, right? So the, the uh, formulas that I have listed down there are just formulas that you can use to calculate what your maximum theoretical throughputs are going to be by increasing the number of shards, right? So I, so I mentioned that you can read at a rate of up to two megabytes per second from a Kinesis shard. And I mentioned that, um, that every Lambda function that exists concurrently goes up with a number of shards. So you basically multiply the number of shards by two megabytes per second and divide it by how long it takes your Lambda function to run, 
right? So that it takes a second to run, then you can do like, you know, two shards times two megabits per second, four megabits per second of theoretical throughput, right? That's how it's gonna work. Um, and then below is the effective throughput calculation. Um, I'm not gonna really bore you guys with all the math like behind all this stuff. I just wanted to show you guys for reference and this is gonna be published online. It's gonna be on SlideShare. So you will have access to this stuff so you can reference these formulas if you actually want to, right? So another thing that I talked about earlier, which was retries, and I'm gonna talk about it now in, in more detail, is actually very important because in real world, nothing works perfectly. It really doesn't. Stuff is gonna break. Right, like someone's gonna introduce some new kind of payload into your Kinesis stream and you're gonna go like, wait, what? You didn't tell me about this new payload. And you're not gonna either process it or you're gonna have some kind of if statement, some kind of like, you know, code that you've written that's not gonna take to it kindly. And it might crash, it might fail. So what happens when your Lambda functions start failing in the middle of a real-time data processing pipeline? Like, do you, do you lose messages? What happens to your, to your throughput, right? So the answer to it is going back to what I mentioned originally. These functions are synchronously invoked. There's a guarantee of order. So if a function fails, it's not gonna move forward. It's not gonna process newer messages until those older messages are successfully processed, which means that you're basically halted your compute of your real-time pipeline. So you're now falling behind. But we talked about Kinesis being versatile, right? The beauty, the, the, the benefit of what you get there now is that it's not fire and forget. The Lambda service is gonna say, I can't process past this message. This thing is breaking continuously. It's failing, I'm trying, like, but it keeps on failing. So you're gonna fall behind and fall behind. Let's say it takes you two hours to figure this out, which hopefully you have some good monitoring in place and it doesn't take two hours, but let's say it does. Um, you have time to go in there, fix the problem, and reprocess all the messages and catch up to real time and just be back in business like nothing ever happened, right? That's the benefit of Kinesis combined with Lambda in your data processing pipeline. So it really is the heart of the pipeline. Um, so, and, and like I mentioned, the way that the Lambda function does this is with exponential backoffs. So it's gonna try, it's gonna retry, I believe in, it retries in like 100 milliseconds and then 200 and then 400 and then 800 and then 1.2 seconds and so on and so forth until it reaches 60 seconds and then it just does it every 60 seconds until it can process the message or until the message expires, at which point there's nothing it can do except try the next message because the message is gone, right? So, but if you retry, let's say that it's caused by a network blip, something that doesn't happen continuously. It's not guaranteed to error forever until you fix it, right? Because you're failing, your compute throughput is gonna go down which means you might start falling behind if functions start randomly failing. If you have some kind of DNS issue in your network and every other call is failing to resolve and every other call is trying to resolve a MySQL node, for example, then that means every other Lambda invocation is gonna fail. And if that happens, your compute capacity is halved. You now process at half the speed, which means you can start falling behind. So how do you monitor all this stuff? I mean, like, how do you like constantly monitor your real-time data processing pipeline to make sure it's processing the way it's supposed to, to make sure that you're keeping up with all these messages, that you're not falling behind, that Lambda functions are not failing, right? If this is the heart of your, of like some kind of workload that you have, if this is being used to process like security events, you want to be able to monitor this, right? And to do this, you use CloudWatch, which is really no big surprise here. Um, but the cool thing about it is that we have this metric that we expose for, uh, for Kinesis streams. 
um, that's exposed actually from both the Lambda consumer perspective and from Kinesis, and it's called the shard iterator age, right? So the iterator is basically your cursor inside this big Kinesis stream. It tells you where in the stream you are. And it's expressed in time, where time is how old the cursor is. If it is zero, it is at the very, very, very beginning of the stream. It's processing everything really well. It's going super fast. As that number goes up, it means you're falling behind. The age of that cursor or that iterator is getting older. You do not want that number to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But in the real world, it's going to go up and down, right? Like, it's, it's going to be a little bit of latency here, and then it's going to catch up, and it's going to be a little bit of latency there, and it's going to catch up. And you're going to see this little spiky pattern like that, right? So that little spiky pattern is a good spiky pattern, um, as long as it doesn't go, like, really high, right? So you can measure it in seconds. You can set an alert and basically say, hey, look, if my real-time data processing pipeline seems to be the sharded rate is over 30 seconds, then I want to know about it, right? You set an alert and alert yourself to see what could be going on that's delaying it. Right, so that is your main, main thing that you're going to be focusing on. But you can also look at how successful Lambda functions have been at invoking by looking at the Lambda service, right? You can just look at the Lambda console. You can look at Lambda metrics from within CloudWatch and figure out the number of times Lambda functions invoked and how many of those times it failed. It is normal for Lambda functions to fail, especially if you're making network calls inside a Lambda function, right? Even when making network calls to AWS services, it could really fail. Always plan for failure. Right, like everyone strives for 100% uptime, that never really does happen. Um, so you have to have a way of, of, of managing that, the inevitable. Um, and so you set some kind of, you set some kind of ceiling on it. You say, hey, I don't want more than this number of invocation errors. If you see a big spike like that picture that's right there, and the number of invocation errors, that's not good. Something's going on, right? Like it's it's worthy of investigation. And generally, when you see a spike in invocation errors, you will see a spike as well um, in the actual like shard iterator age. You will see it go up. Um, so, so in order to to dive into like what bad looks like, I actually intentionally made lambda functions fail in my account just so I could show you guys what's really happening underneath the covers when lambda functions fail. To do this, I'm using X-Ray, which is really freaking cool. And it's going to look at that Lambda invocation, and it's going to tell me, actually, for that specific like Lambda invocation, how many times it failed and how many times it retried. And as you can tell, there's like a little exponential curve right there. That's the exponential back off, right? Like it, it, it tried like immediately, and then it waited a little bit more and tried again, and so on and so forth, until the, until the function finally succeeded. And, in actually executing, right? So, and the way that I did that in my function, by the way, is I just put a little random calculation in there and I said, you know, if this random value is less than this, then throw an exception. I just intentionally, synthetically made, like, made it fail just to show what, what would actually happen, right? So if my Lambda functions all behave this way, where they fail the first four times before succeeding the fifth time, then my actual throughput's gonna be like 1,666 records per second in this, in this setup that I have. If I were to fix that problem, fix the problem that causes it to retry, then there's a 2.72 time difference, right? It's gonna process 4,545 messages per second, significantly more messages, right? So if I'm falling behind, and I look at my shard iterator age, this is what it's gonna look like. It's gonna get older and older and older and older, right? In this setup, I have a producer that's inserting 100,000 records per minute into two shards. 
But my lambda function is only consuming at 1,176 records per second, which is about 70,000 records per minute. So I'm 30,000 records per minute slower than what I should be processing at, right? I'm behind in compute. Kinesis is keeping up with the, with, with the producer, but, uh, but, but, but my consumer is not keeping up. So with time, you know, as the minutes pass by, you see that going up and up and up and up. So how do I solve that, right? In this case, the issue was that my compute was taking longer than I wanted it to. And the way I did that was also, was also synthetically. I added a sleep in there. But in the real world, you might be doing two, two calls to a relational database, and that might be taking some time. So what, so what I did here was I just doubled the number of shards. I just said, hey, you know, instead of having two shards, I'm going to have four shards. That's all I did, just double the number of shards. And all of a sudden, I have twice the throughput. Because like I mentioned, right, now instead of having two concurrent Lambda invocations, you have four concurrent Lambda invocations. And because those messages coming in at a rate of 100,000 messages per second have uh, an actual like key that I'm, that I'm hashing by and partitioning by that it actually has a lot of entropy, it gets spread over all the shards, and I'm essentially doubling my capacity by doing that. Um, so now I'm keeping up with real time. So you can see that the shard iterator, which is in blue, peaked at 222,000 and is now on the dive. That means I'm catching up. So when I'm on the dive, I'm catching up. Once I dive all the way down to zero, it's going to go back to that spiky pattern around zero with very low numbers, which is exactly what you want, right? So that's, that's really a, a relatively quick walkthrough just for this one hour uh, session of a real-time processing pipeline with a focus on security and then some deep dive into Kinesis and Lambda, which are really the heart of real-time data processing, whether you're processing for security, processing for, for ad, you know, processing for ad campaigns because you're in click streams, or for analytics or for market research, whatever it is you're doing, right? Kinesis is almost always at the heart of every single real-world production customer platform that, I, that like, I've worked with, right? So one example of this is Netflix, um, which is a pretty common example that comes up in a lot of these sessions. But this one really is truly impressive. Um, so, they, so what they wanted to be able to do is take all the log data that they were generating from all their different services, and they wanted to be able to action on it in a very quick, real-time fashion to bring results to customers quicker, to be able to drive some kind of decision that they're going to make that day, or to drive some kind of automated platform or email messaging or whatever it is they need to do that they need to do real time, as opposed to waiting a day to do it, right? And to do this, they actually use Amazon Kinesis. And they're processing terabytes of log data every single day with Kinesis. So they have a whole bunch of producers that are just dumping log data into, into like Kinesis streams, and then they're consuming it. And their setup is more complex than the one I showed, right? It wasn't just one Kinesis stream. You can have multiple Kinesis streams. You can have each one do something different and pass on to the next stream. You know, your streams could look like one big series or it could look like, you know, some kind of complicated web of Kinesis streams all sending from one to the other. You know, where every single, you know, self-contained Kinesis and Lambda function has its, has its own function and purpose. Right? So this is something that Netflix did, and they were very successful at doing on AWS, and they didn't have to manage infrastructure to do it, um, which is something that, that they were really looking uh, for. And they also did this for VPC flow logs, so going to that security application that I mentioned, they did this for VPC flow logs as well, just to monitor for security and anomalous patterns and things like that, right? So um, I did add these few slides here at the very end because I didn't want to leave you guys just with the idea of Lambda Functions and Kinesis for real-time processing on AWS. 
there are more services that you can consume, more services that you can use to do real-time data processing on AWS. One of which is our um, Elastic MapReduce service or EMR service, which is uh, also a versatile big data service that lets you launch a variety of platform configurations for big data processing. Um, my favorite of those is the Apache Spark configuration. Um, and you can use that as your compute layer as opposed to Lambda. You can use them together, actually, if you want to as well. Um, but in this example I'm showing, basically, where you can just put your EMR, like Spark cluster, right in the middle, and then use Spark. You know, use EMR with Spark. So, but you're going to probably ask me, what, like, why should I use that over Lambda, for example, right? And there's some very good, compelling reasons. Lambda functions is code that you write yourself, right? There's a lot of applications that are very simple. It's just a, you know, a, a quick if condition here, a dynamo check over here, you know, like maybe a, a, a query of like, of like Aurora over there, something like relatively simple. And then you do some kind of condition and then you move on, right? Sometimes it's that simple. And when it's that simple, highly recommend using Lambda. That's exactly what it's for. It's completely managed and you don't have to worry about it. But, but what if you have a more complex use case? What if you have a use case where you want to do like sliding or tumbling windows where you're getting like, you know, 100 messages per second from a sensor and you want to remove outliers from it because there's some bad like temperature readings in there. You want to average them before dumping them into another Kinesis stream or you want to run some machine learning against it and you want to do it, you know, in sort of a real-time application to make real-time like decisions on it and whatnot. You might find EMR and Apache Spark to be, to be more suitable for your workload. Um, it has a lot of very mature library functionalities and feature sets included in it um, that run exceptionally well on top of AWS. And we actually have a lot of partners in the IoT space, where I work a lot with, using Apache Spark every day to do things like predictive analytics and predictive maintenance decisions. Right? So they're looking at a whole bunch of sensor data that's coming in from the field in real time they're training machine learning algorithms every night, and then they're using those trained machine learning algorithms to make decisions in real time every day. So they're using it to figure out you know, if this truck needs to go into maintenance because it's about to fail in the next 24 hours, right? because it's pulling a whole bunch of sensory data from the truck, and it knows that, that, that the last 143 trucks that went in for service had a very similar like kind of look to the data um, and behavior of the data as the current truck that, that's, that's, that's on the road right now, right? So I've worked with three IoT partners that use Apache Spark in the heart of their solution for their real-time data processing pipeline. And they use it both to train their machine learning models with Spark ML, and then they use it to evaluate with the trained machine learning model. Um, you can interface with it in different languages as well. Um, you can use Scala, Java, Python, and there's a, actually a whole bunch of other languages that, that uh, you can use as well. And like I mentioned, we do have customers with public references um, that have used Apache Spark and EMR as part of their real-time data processing pipeline. So one example of such customer is actually Zillow. Um, Zillow actually uses uh, Spark ML and uses machine learning applications to actually compute their Zestimate in real time as all the real estate conditions and metrics and time and everything changes. They have a proprietary algorithm they use, obviously, um, to calculate what the worth, what, what the value some piece of real estate is, right? And there's tons of people on their website constantly looking at properties, wanting to know how much this costs, how much that costs, houses that are not for sale, just, just to get an idea of what you know, house costs in a particular market. 
Um, and they use um, a combination of Kinesis Stream with Spark on Amazon to do this. And those two things go very hand in hand, and you're gonna see Kinesis almost at the heart of every real-time data processing solution on top of AWS, which is why I spent a little bit of time deep diving into it, is to leave you guys with some good knowledge on Kinesis, because that's gonna be 80% of your solution right there, right? You can use Kinesis by inserting messages into it and consuming it with Spark. You can then use Spark if you want to, do tumbling windows and running averages, and push into another Kinesis stream. That might then have a Lambda function at the other end. Right, so that's where I mentioned you can combine these things, right? So there's, there's a lot of ways that you can build a real-time data processing pipeline, right? We looked at a serverless one with Lambda and Kinesis with a security focus by reading CloudTrail logs. But there's a lot more than you can do, like a lot more than I could possibly cover in a single one-hour session. So I, I highly encourage you guys to look at, the, at these next steps right here to check out um, our serverless page. Um, on alias.amazon.com slash serverless. There's a lot of really good resources in there that talk about, obviously, the benefits of serverless. You guys have probably heard it on and on and on. Um, and also some real-world applications of it, right? There's nothing like seeing someone doing something real with it to realize its real true benefits. Um, also, check out the Lambda reference uh, architecture on GitHub. There's actually, like, an entire project in there um, that has, like, some examples on how to do, like, real-time data processing, practical real-time data processing with Lambda. Um, and also another one that I didn't have time to dive into, which is, like, how you do distributed computing with Lambda. And this is essentially like a spaghetti of Lambda functions where a Lambda function, like, will read messages from S3, then, then actually turn them into batches, and then invoke other Lambda functions. So you can think of it like MapReduce with Lambda, where the Lambda functions like keep on calling each other and then eventually all reduce their results down to something. Um, cool thing about that, serverless, you don't have to worry about scaling it. It just scales. You know, It goes as fast as it possibly can go. And you're going to pay the same amount, whether it took 10 hours to run or it took 10 minutes, because Lambda's build at a 100 millisecond per, per 128 eight megabyte interval. So whether you consume all that in 10 seconds or 10 days, it's gonna be the same cost. Um, and also encourage you to look a lot more into Kinesis Streams, like I mentioned, like probably way too many times already. So I apologize for that, but Kinesis Streams is very important. Look into that. Um, the Kinesis console is pretty powerful. Uh, it lets you configure streams um, to do pretty much anything that you want to there. Um, and you can also look at the, at the documentation on how you can consume it with your custom app, like applications as well. We have something called the Kinesis Client Library, or KCL for short, as a lot of people call it, um, that you can use to consume from Kinesis Streams with your own application. So if your familiarity is with Java and you write Spring Boot applications, then you can use KCL within Java. If you're a Python developer you know, and you're writing things in Python, um, then you can use KCL as well to consume messages. Like, there's a lot of different ways that you can consume from Kinesis. You don't have to do it completely serverless from AWS. It's the way I encourage you guys to look at. But I totally understand it takes a little while to get there. Um, but you can start with Kinesis, consuming the way that you're familiar with, and then take the dive into serverless. Look into how you, once you understand Kinesis and you're very comfortable with it, look at how you can take your compute and go serverless. Um, and finally, read like the, the like developer guide for Kinesis. There's a lot of really good information in there and lots of good information on our Lambda forums and Kinesis forums and just all over the web in general. Lots of good resources, but anyways, 
uh, with that, I say thank you guys. Thank you very much for your time, for attention. Hopefully I did not bore you guys too much and didn't say Kinesis streams too many times. Um, and hope you enjoy the rest of your sessions. Thank you.